All right, guys. Well, welcome to Friday evening Sangha call. Um, today we have a question about dreamy states. And um, in fact, uh, it's good when we know what state the mind is in. But in fact, it's in the sutta uh, number 10 in the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, to where it only kind of mentions it in the Anapanasati Sutta, but in the Satipatthana Sutta, it actually goes into some detail in the sense that we should monitor on a regular basis what state of mind we're in. Is the mind exalted? Is the mind dull? Is the mind sharp? Is the mind fit for work? Is the mind distracted? Is it scattered? Sometimes we use the word monkey mind because it's jumping around a lot. And that, um, that, that jumping around can actually be um, settled down into a kind of a dreamy state. And that um, one of the qualities of, of these dreamy states or dullness or tiredness or anything like that is normal to do with not having enough air, not breathing well enough. And so that would be one of the things that you would uh, uh, want to experiment with or play with. If you find your mind is in that dreamy state, then say, oh, I caught you, dreamy state. <sighs> Start taking some deep breaths and see um, it that the dreamy state is going to start changing, but also the important thing is, is that you're no longer focused that so much as you are now on the breathing and having the mind watch the breath. And after a few breaths, then you can go back and check that state. What kind of state of mind am I in now? Does this now feel exhilarating? That in fact, that's one of the qualities of the doing of the Anapanasati is it is changing the style of breathing that we have on a regular normal basis. And most Westerners uh, in various meditation systems are taught, oh, you don't have to control the breath, just watch it. Well, in a way, by watching it, you're already controlling it. It's only out of control when it's out of your awareness or out of the mind. So when we start paying attention to the breath, we automatically have control over it. If we practice in that way of, oh, I'm just supposed to watch the breath, but not controlling it, then that gives the quality of uh, not putting enough effort into the breath. Uh, that Scott. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you appeared twice. I'm <laughs> <laughs> back. It's a different. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, um, the, talking about the breathing that we. Um, if we breathe in a shallow way, then the then the mind will get dull. Um, it doesn't have enough oxygen. It's not fit for work. And not only that, but the lungs accumulate the poisons of carbon dioxide and amino acids. And so we're not getting enough oxygen to the brain. 
or let us say we're not getting a huge amount of oxygen to the brain, it's sufficient to keep you alive, but uh, uh, even a runner running uphill starts to breathe heavily because the body needs that, okay? So when we get into that dreamy state, that's a sure sign that we should start taking deeper breaths. Um, also, the mind will wander away very easily if we only are merely watching or noting the breath rather than actually intentionally taking control of the breath. That in fact, it's a really, really good anchor for your practice or for your mindfulness is to intentionally take a, a deep breath. And when we're taking these deep breaths, it reestablishes our physiology. The mind just get, gets brighter. And if you breathe a lot, um, then that uh, will actually oxygenate and energize the body. Um, perhaps you guys have heard of the, the term hyperventilation. Have you ever heard of hyperventilation? Have you ever practiced it? Have you ever gotten hyperventilated? Okay. How do you do that, Scott? How do you hyperventilate? Oh, that's funny. I actually used to do this um, when I was a swimmer. Sometimes I would practice swimming uh, underwater. So for multiple laps, I could do probably three times underwater. So, but right before I went, I, I would go. All the way in, all the way out for about 30 seconds. And then I would take one huge breath in and then I would hold it and then I would go swim underwater and that would let me that. And then my body was had enough oxygen to like sustain itself swim, for a, swim a limp and a half or yeah. up to three laps. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, that fits in perfectly. You see the same human body that is doing that swimming is the same human body that's doing the, um, um, the Vipassana or the Anapanasati, right? That's an important quality so that you can take that knowledge that you had and apply that to Anapanasati. Now, if we are controlling the breathing over a long time, then um, the long breath is the way to go because that's the most, let us say, um, relaxing and energizing at the same time. But then if we get the mind really dull, then we need to pump the oxygen back in fairly quickly, just like the kind of breathing that uh, Scott was showing you there. That's just the, the breathing that you were doing, uh, Scott, would fall under, um, <clears throat> uh, let us say, item two or the step two, which is the short breath. What you were taking were short breaths for the, for the Buddha, but it's a mindful kind of breathing. You knew what you were doing. You were watching that kind of breath. Now, if you continue to do that kind of breath, just before you jump in the pool, you'll actually get lightheaded. The hyperventilation is that lightheadedness. What does that mean? Well, a lot of people don't know what it is, and so they become afraid of it. But what that means is, is that the body or the mind is fully oxygenated. That's that you're, uh, it, it's sort of like tuning your race car so that it can go above 9,000 RPM, 
right? We're giving it the fuel, the kind of fuel that it needs to do that. So let's do this together, guys. Let's do that short breathing that uh, uh, Scott was demonstrating. Let's all do that. Scott, you lead the show, okay? Start doing it, and I'll, I'll be a kind of a kibitz or a uh, peanut gallery. Okay. So All right. Um, start I'm just going to go ahead and get into rhythm. So when he breathes in, you breathe in. When he breathes out, you breathe out. Okay, keep going, guys. Notice how much his body is moving. You let your body move that much, too. You get some air in there. up just a little bit that thing out of oxygen and do it a little faster Gosh, put some effort into this get your body moving get some real there you go now i see that chest moving okay stop What was that? Start breathing at my rhythm. Okay. Doing this right already, you begin to feel lightheaded. Anybody feeling lightheaded already? Keep it going. Turn kind of to a long breath. Just let that same long breath go, but make it extended in time. Something like. Okay, so let's talk about it a little bit. Aaron, what did you experience? Uh, definitely some lightheadedness. I felt like my arms kind of woke up a little bit, my shoulders. Um, a little bit of tingling in my legs as well. Okay. Henry David Thoreau once made the statement that we all lead lives of quiet desperation. Okay. 
Uh, if you look at that word desperation, you'll see the word breath in it. Okay. Being desperate means we can't get enough air. Okay. And that we live our lives that way in a state of quiet desperation of not breathing well. And so this is a habit that we want to develop instead of letting the, uh, the anterior cortex do the job of uh, the bottom line, shallow breathing, going to start intentionally remembering to breathe well, to breathe long, breathe short, but to really oxygenate the body. Now, next question, Aaron. <clears throat> While you're in this state, continue, everybody continue to do the long breathing as we talk, okay? Just kind of keep track of it, keep remembering. Um, but while we're breathing in this controlled way, getting really deep breaths, make sure that the oxygen is coming in. Do you feel like the mind is in a dreamy state now? Or is it It's it's brighter than it was. It's late for me, so um, my circadian rhythms are are kicking in a little bit. Um, you know, I also have some some swelling, I think, in my nasal cavity, and I try to breathe out of my nose most of the time. And so my breathing has been a little bit forced the last you know few days or so. So that could be part of it too. All right, that's a good point to make uh, to bring up. Is is that the nose is designed the way that it is for doing something. And to people who do mouth breathing their whole lives um, actually bypass the uh, the properties of the nose. Now, what the nose and the navel cavity, the sinuses, and all of this stuff in the face is a huge number of chambers, bellows, and things like this that are full of hair. And what happens with the air is, is that it's coming in, it is warmed and purified, taking all, not all, but most of the contaminants out. But in fact, people who mouth breathe is more likely to catch a cold than those who are doing nose breathing, except that the problem, funny part of it is, is that when we get a cold, the nasal passages clog up. Why? Because they're doing their job, basically. They're at war. <laughs> and it's uh, cleaning and purifying that air. So uh, what I would recommend to all meditators is, is that you should keep track of whether you can breathe well through your nose or not. If one passage is blocked and the other one is open, note that. Okay, make sure that your nose cavity is open. Now, the next part of it is, is that when the, when the, the nose is clogged up or when we're not paying attention, or when we get into just a bad habit of breathing through the mouth, then all kinds of things will come into the lungs, making us sick, especially if you're in a polluted environment. If you live in a city that's got pollution to it, it's almost necessary for you to guard this sense door of the nose to make sure that you keep cleaning it out, because its job is to collect dirt. It's like a filter. 
right? On an air conditioner. How many of you have ever uh, changed the filter on a heater or air conditioner, right? They get filthy. How about a fan? We've got fans all over the house here, and the blades get dirty. The case gets dirty. In fact, the fan gets to the point that it can't even move air well because the uh, the blades and the um, the uh, the fan case get full of lint. Well, guess what? The fan may not be on all the time, but look how much lint that fan collects over a period of time. Do you want that stuff collecting in your lungs? It will if you breathe through your mouth. But if you breathe through your nose, then your nose is going to get dirty, just like an electric fan or uh, the filter on an air conditioner. Okay, so that means that we should start paying close attention to making sure that we can breathe well through the nose. Now, <clears throat> there's various ways to do that. They even had techniques for it way back in the time of the Buddha. Now we have more. We have stuff that we can go buy. We can buy expensive stuff, uh, um, antihistamines at the, at the drugstore, or we can go get a nasal bomb um, <clears throat> from 7-Eleven or someplace like that that's got eucalyptus or whatever that has that cleaning quality. But there's also a direct way to do it with just water. And we can have three kinds of water. We can have warm water, ordinary water, or salty water, and the best is warm, salty water. That in fact, what I'm getting at, have you, any of you ever been to the beach? Ever gone swimming in the ocean? Yeah. Yeah, everybody has. Yep. Do you recognize what happens when you go and start breathing that salt air and get some of that salt water in your nose? What does it do? It cleans house. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Cleans you out. So, the way that we take this is take that warm salty water and put it into the uh, to the palm of the hand, and then we can put it close to the nose and pull it and suck that warm salty water in until it comes in, and then we can close the nose the other way and get it from the other and breathe in through the other nostril. More than likely, if you're doing it correctly, it'll cause you to sneeze. <clears throat> which gets rid of a whole lot of it. Then the next thing that you'll do is uh, use the force of the throat to create a vacuum, but then to pull stuff out of the sinuses down into the throat. Do you know what I mean? Scott, surely you know what I'm talking about. Let me give you a demonstration, but I'm not sure that that'll work. You, you do it like this. <clears throat> then your whole mouth fills with phlegm. So try that. Try. I try to blow it out the other way. Like blow it, just blow my nose. Yeah, well, I'm swallowing it now because we're on video. <laughs> Normally, I'd spit it on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> and it should make like a really deep, like a weird sound. Like, I don't know, like, have you ever heard like a pig root? It's like a much deeper kind of like... <laughs> Right, right. It's kind of like deeper okay, smell. Right. You can actually make okay. a sound just like the pig. <laughs> Suck that stuff in as far as you can. And then <laughs> pull it down from the back. Oh. And I got another mouthful. 
<laughs> and my sinuses are um, fully functioning, being clear, there's still a lot of mucus up in there that can be pulled out. And when you do, then it's remarkable how better we can breathe. Just now pay attention to how nice and clean it is to take a really deep, good breath through the nose. Ah, oh, relief. I was congested on the part of this call, but I could almost talk normally now, and I could breathe almost normally now, too, so there's a big difference. Mm -hmm. The other thing I noticed, too, was um, when we did that breathing to begin with, um, I got like a feeling of like being very competitive and like full of energy and kind of like really fierce. Um, not quite fierce, but just kind of like definitely much more energized in a way that I didn't notice before. Cause I did a little, I had a little bit of experience with that with the Wim Hof breathing. Cause it's basically like hyperventilating and then some kind of like deep pause for relaxation. Right. It's some kind of pranayama, I guess. But um I didn't quite actually take the time to notice how energized that you feel when you're getting the energy in or the oxygen and, and staying up. Um, but noticing that the increase of oxygen and having enough kind of made me feel more alert. Um, really, in, it made me excited to try it tomorrow in the morning, like when I'm waking up, you know, don't have to think about coffee to get energized. I could literally just use oxygen. Um, so that was really interesting. I'm really glad we did that. Right. Okay. That's a good point. Right. That we drink coffee to get energized because we can go buy that. The commercial uh, industry. I mean, can you imagine the coffee company says, drink our coffee and take a deep breath? No, just drink our coffee. Don't take <laughs> a deep breath. We want you to need the coffee. Yeah. It's okay. no word to do that coffee, but... It is a little bit of work to do the breathing, but it's so much more natural and it just, you just have a much more uh, cleaner quality to the energy. And there's obviously not going to be any crash. It's literally just for your health. So I'm excited to try it more often and, and begin to build more of a habit with it specifically for that energy. I'm going to try it in the mornings to, to really get it into routine. Uh, uh, something I want to say about that is that the the lungs actually are like a muscle so um if your lungs aren't used They're to surrounded by muscles yeah it's not a muscle itself it but it is completely surrounded by muscles yeah, yeah they so call it spare ribs when you eat it <laughs> yeah so just like any other muscles um that are used to being tense um it works the same way as like uh training flexibility so um your lungs if you're always breathing shallow your lungs aren't really used to expanding um, at, with it, as much air until you intentionally practice taking in more air. And then eventually it's uh, more natural to breathe deeper. So I, pra I practice um, the breath whenever I remember to, but I think like as a byproduct of that, my natural breathing rhythm is just deeper, smoother breaths, like even if I'm not particularly intentionally taking the breath. So it is like a practicable skill that like leads to like physical uh, ramifications and like how you actually breathe and that affects your mental state. So it's pretty cool. That is okay, awesome. Thanks guys. for sharing. 
Now let me ask you this question in general. Remember that I said to while we're talking to keep doing the long breath. How many of you are doing the long breath? Did you remember to keep doing? We're talking about breath and you're not even remembering to breathe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so let's get back into it and continue to do that. In fact, watch this shoulder here to give you the uh, the key that you can take a deep breath too because you see this. We just keep watching what I'm doing. You can actually see the shoulder rise. <clears throat> I'm not raising the shoulder intentionally, just the breathing does that. So let's start doing that, Aaron. Start breathing well enough that your whole body moves. You saw um, uh, Scott doing it. Okay, that you don't just think, oh, I'm breathing, breathing deeply. No, you want to actually do the body movement. The body is going to expand. Your, your belly is going to drop. Your chest is going to open. Uh, shoulders are going to rise. But think of the lungs as having three parts. You've got a lower part of the lungs, a middle part of the lungs, and the upper part of the lungs. The upper part of the lungs are the part that does the least amount of work because it's the last to fill up. So having your shoulders rise is a good indication that you've got a good deep breath. I'm actually starting to feel really sleepy. <clears throat> um, how does that factor into it? Is it tingly? <laughs> like really much more relaxed if i stop the deep breathing and i stop consciously breathing like when i go back to normal breathing maybe it's not feeling tired maybe i'm just so used to this normal feeling of having less energy because when i'm doing the breathing naturally you feel more awake and alert and good and um when i kind of laid off it for a second oh, i was petting my dog so i was focusing on petting my dog because She's just kind of looking really cute and stuff. So I started petting my dog for a couple seconds, started going back to normal breathing. And I just suddenly noticed, I was like, oh, wow, I feel a lot more tired. Like maybe this deep breathing is really good for sleep. And then I was kind of curious. I was like, wait, why am I feeling tired? And that's when I asked about it. Um, okay, so I guess that's a really rapid, you know, like when you're breathing deep and right, I mean, like within 10, 20 or 30 seconds, like it just took a couple breaths of the old way to feel the energy drop back down. Mm -hmm. Does that sound right? Or so it is that quickly that if you just change your breathing, like almost immediately you feel better or worse. Yes, generally what happens, though, is the mind is not well focused enough to remember to keep doing it. Several of you have already forgotten again after you've I've reminded you. So let's keep going with that breathing. I mean, if you can't do it while I'm reminding you, how can you do it while you're sitting thinking that you're practicing meditation? I guess how you feel is, you know, the ultimate indicator of being able to do it. So that's what I'll try to kind of tie into things more often. Um, I did pet my dog again, and I was able to continue breathing while focusing on the breath and then pet my dog secondary. Um, <clears throat> so that's good. That's a productive session. Mm -hmm. Humans 
Um, let us say it this way. We can do more than one thing at a time, basically because we can easily move back and forth between things. An example of that is a violinist has a whole bunch of stuff to do with her left hand and a whole lot of other stuff to do with her right hand. And when they can get that into sync, they call that music. All right, so we have this also with the breathing to remember to breathe well while we're doing all of the other aspects of Anapanasati. We could breathe well and gladden the mind together. Let's look at the word simultaneously, because in the uh, uh, people who have clocks have a different uh, view of simultaneously, that things can happen within five minutes and they can be simultaneous. Or they can happen within five seconds of one another and be simultaneous. But somehow or another, we've got to, that it's got to be within five nanoseconds to be simultaneous. But in fact, while you're breathing in, there's a whole lot of stuff happening during that time. And so we kick it off with mindfulness. I remember that I'm going to take a long, deep breath. While I'm taking that long, deep breath, I can tell myself and actually experience it, not tell myself in dialogue or discursive language, but actually experience how good this feels. So just sit there and breathe and just experience how good it feels to breathe and to be alive. And so if any discursive thoughts add to the mix, then we can actually use those kind of thoughts to actually uh, reinforce how good we feel by telling ourselves how good we feel. Feels good. Oh, wow, that feels so good. Okay, so this is how we begin to put things together is we use the body and the mind together with the feelings and we can do all three of those things within one breath in fact we can do it within one in breath <clears throat> and then again sati on the out breath to make sure that this is going to be a long deep out breath a happy relaxing how good you feel as you relax on that out breath and so this is what we're going to start thinking about we're going to start thinking about the breathing and the air that we're breathing right here, right now. As you guys know, you've heard me before. I talk about this a lot, but I thought today that I'd kind of grind it in. That it's all about the breathing. That's why it's called Anapanasati. In and out, breathing mindfully. Mindfully breathing in and breathing out. And when we're mindfully doing that, we gather together the factors of the Anapana Sati. I don't see any shoulders rising. So practicing this five or 10 minutes at a time, several times a day, will really begin to change the physiology of the body, starts building up chest muscles, gives you a force, gives you the ability to, um, to 
do things that ordinary people can't do. Like this is the breath you were seeking. And keep focusing, apply and sustaining the thought of this is a long, deep, easy, beautiful, happy breath. <clears throat> and while we're thinking about that kind of stuff, we don't have much time for dreaming, now do we? That if we catch the mind wandering away, then bring it back again and start just breathing up again. Let the body become vibrantly alive, energized, fit for work, cleansed. Throw out all of the garbage, the garbage that's accumulated in the blood, the garbage that's in the lungs, the garbage that's in the mind. We're going to be breathing that out. So you can imagine that as you breathe in, you're breathing in joy. And as you breathe out, you're breathing out all the crap. Let it go. All of it goes out. And breathing in, we feel joy. So this is the practice of Anapanasati. Not just noting the breath and then letting the mind wander away into dreaminess. But if we're breathing and paying attention to the breathing and controlling the breathing, we can only do that by controlling the mind. So it's actually in that uh, short breathing that we did first with, with Scott. While we're doing that, you can't hardly think of anything else. You can't think of uh, Aunt Susie or that beautiful little thing in that kind of bathing suit that you like so much standing beside you. When you're doing that breathing, you're not thinking about her. You're thinking about the breathing. And so this is the way of beginning to control the mind and the body is by putting the mind and the breath together. And we keep remembering to do that, to keep coming back to that long, deep breath. Unless the mind is really scattered, there are several times that we would want to practice the, um, the short breathing. And that is number one, when the mind is distracted, when it is dreamy, when it is dull, that would be a time to do it. Another time to do the, uh, the intense uh, short breathing would be when the mind is a monkey mind, it's active. Okay, so in fact, one way would be the mind is dreamy, it's dull because we haven't been breathing very well, or that the mind is agitated, thinking a lot. On both of those extremes, the way to bring it back to the middle path <clears throat> is by coming back to these long, deep breaths. Except that, no, sorry, here is where we're going to, because the mind is really distracted or really dull, that's when we can really use the short breath for just a little while to get the mind oxygenated, get it energized, get it focused. And then we can go back into the long breath and sustain that long breath. Does that make sense to you guys? Is the short breath, I've heard it um, called the breath of fire, where it's kind of like, because what we were doing before is like all the way in, all the way out. I think that we were calling that the long breath. <clears throat> the breath of fire that I've heard talked about is where you do like a short 
inhale, exhale. So it's like, <gasps> kind of like what you'd get after you're running really heavy. Is that right. what the short right. breath is? Except here's the point about that. And that is, is that when we have been running and the body, um, basically the anatomy is such that when the blood chemistry gets very, very uh, acidic, then the breathing mechanism will start that uh, dog panting kind of breathing, okay? Um, but if we're just sitting there in a dull state, it probably doesn't get down to that or up to that level of um, acid. Now, what is the acid? Well, it's carbonic acid. Does anybody know what carbonic acid is? It's water and carbon dioxide mixed together. So when you got all of that carbon dioxide and all that junk in your system, because you've been walking uphill, that will trigger that kind of breathing. I would recommend, however, that even then you would control it in the sense of slow it down and make it just a little bit better. People talk about it. Have you ever heard the phrase, catch your breath? Do you know what that means? It means that people don't like to breathe that uh, that heavy way when we're running and we want it to stop it. We want it to go back to normal rather than intentionally continue to breathe that way or better still a little bit longer. So the the, the natural running breathing that, that we do is a little sh uh, too short and not enough oxygen to where the breathing that Scott was doing was totally 100% on getting a full deep breath. Okay, with the short breath, we're going to intentionally get a full deep breath quickly and then throw it back out quickly. So the, uh, <clears throat> the deep breath, <coughs> excuse me, the, the panting uh, would, like we were talking about the dog pants, it's a very shallow. <laughs> You see dogs doing that all the time. Actually, they're doing that more for a heat exchange than for breathing because they have fur covered up. We have sweat glands, and so we cool, do a lot of our cooling through sweat. Um, so it's not a panting, and it's not the kind of breathing that you're out of uh, work. You guys have all uh, run and been out of breath, so everybody do what you normally would do when you're out of breath and the body does it uh, on its own. <gasps> You've done that before. Do it now. Do it consciously. Control that kind of really fast breath that you feel when you're out of breath. Corey knows. Scott, do it. If you notice, it's not quite as filling. And so when even when you're out of breath, and you're running and out of breath, it would be better to control it, to slow it down and make it a little bit deeper. An example now, uh, watch this breath is. Yeah, when, when I'm swimming, I kind of do, I need to get a lot of air in and push All a that, right. air out. So I take like a gulp. Yeah, so like my head is down. I turn my head, I take a gulp like. Mm -hmm. 
so it's like I catch a gulp of breath. Like that. Well, if you only do that in the swimming pool, then you ought to be in the swimming pool all the time. That's your Anapanasati right there. Except that when you're in the swimming pool, if you don't do Anapanasati, you're going to die. <laughs> or stop swimming. Okay. So mostly we probably shouldn't really deal with the, the fire breath or whatever. Mostly... Um, the long, slow breath seems to be like the more ideal one. I mean, the, the breath of fire, what it really does is like somehow um, gets you hyperventilated really quick. And then you could take one long breath, one long out breath. And then because you're so oxygenated, you could, you know, hold your breath for like a minute. So like the breath of fire usually is a two part one. First is like, um, it's like a half inhale, full exhale. So you're like, get hyperventilated really quickly. It's mostly, I guess, to get hyperventilated. That's probably the reason for breath of fire. The second part of it is to like take one deep in and then one deep out, which I guess has some utility in pranayama or more meditation or something. Um, but it seems like for both restlessness and um, both right. restlessness and dullness, yeah, we can just use the conscious slower breath which can still get you hyperventilated if you do it in the right way, but it seems exactly to be, so. yeah, like more, it's it's like the better tool rather than breath of fire, which maybe is for like some kind of specific meditation or something. Actually, um, the, let me interrupt you here uh, to the point that the Buddha talks about two kinds of uh, controlled breathing, the long breath and the short breath without having too much detailed definition of it. And they have been doing that. I mean, the uh, Anapanasati is actually the same word as pranayana. You've heard of pranayana? Okay, pranayana and anapana are the same word backwards. And it's talking about the breath. And the yogis have been practicing breathing, and the Buddha statue or uh, monks have been practicing breathing all of these hundreds and thousands of years. And now medicine and uh, experimenters are coming in and naming a kind of breathing after themselves or whatever. Like the Navy SEALs have a box breathing. Have you ever heard of the box breathing? That's four counts on the in-breath, four counts on the uh, uh, holding it, and then four counts on the out-breath, two counts on the in-breath. So they would do, I'll use the fingers for the counting. So that's the box breathing. Same thing as a short breath. So the tiny little details of the longs or the short breaths is not so much of, uh, of an issue. You can call it prior breathing if you want to. I like that. And why? Because that short, deep, heavy, over and over and over and over breath literally sets you on fire. Tingly. 
alive. You just experimented with that again. Uh, let's do it again. Okay, let's start doing that short breath. Okay, let's do it again. Let's see some shoulders going, guys. I guess once you start to hit the lightheadedness, you have to switch to a longer breath. Otherwise, you kind of get messed up. <laughs> yeah, I was about well, to say. enjoy that what you're calling messed up. <clears throat> that messed up is just a thought. But yeah. Yeah, actually, it definitely feels very good. I actually laughed a little bit. I was kind of giddy and giggly. So that's the nice well, thing. I guess. Giddy and giggly, right. Okay. Uh, up to the point of almost blacking out. Okay, if you keep doing right. this, you will actually black out. Why is that? It's because you've got so much oxygen in the mind that are uh, in the body that the body's blood pressure drops. And when yeah. I'm talking about the normal blood pressure is like 120 over 80, well, it'll drop down to 20 over 60. And it's hard to stay away from the blood pressure is that low, but it gets that low because it's so oxygenated. It's got no... Um, uh, amino acids or uh, carbon dioxide in the blood at all. I've also noticed that when you get to that point, let's say I did the breath of fire for like a minute and I got very lightheaded. I've noticed sometimes you could hold your breath for like one and a half or two minutes. Normally I could hold my breath for like 30 seconds. Um, so when you're in that deep of a state of you know, like your mind, it's a, it's a definitely altered state of consciousness. It definitely um, is. <laughs> yeah, so like what kind of... Um, Note it well. Note it well. Find these different alternate <clears throat> states of consciousness. Play with them. Learn about the human body. That's a really so good it, point. It, yes, it's an altered state of consciousness. Uh, being on fire. Yes, yeah, I was going to ask you a question. So, yeah, so what I noticed in my experience is that after doing those breaths for a certain amount of time, like those quicker, deep breaths, uh, there was like kind of a tingly, PT, like light headedness that arose. But then, like, at a certain point, it kind of felt it, it started to get less comfortable to do. And it felt a little bit more natural to take like a longer, but still deep breath, but like a slower, smoother breath. And it seemed like that would make a little bit more sukha. So it seemed like there's kind of like a natural progression to it um, in terms of like um, for the sake of jhana too, because eventually um, once you grow the PT and the sukha with enough intensity and with enough uh, prevalence, then the breath kind of becomes less of the forefront than like the experience of the PT and Sukha, like just flooding your body, whereas the breathing may continue. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was wondering if, your thoughts on that, if that sounds like, uh, sounds good to you or not. Yes, you're, you're describing your experience very well. And, um, one of the words that I would use in order to help the students understand it so that they can see it when they've got it 
is the feeling of being vibrantly alive, tingly alive, that the whole body is energized. Cells are getting oxygen that haven't had oxygen in months. <laughs> now, that's I find that funny because uh, when I first called you, I never did that breathing. Like All you did was talk myself into feeling alive. And so I just kind of talked myself into it. I didn't even breathe or like I, but I would feel vibrantly alive just by talking myself into it. And then now like I'm kind of doing more breath, but it feels, it seems like uh, either one works, I guess. Well, now you're beginning to uh, point to the fact that guess what? If you can make by your own thoughts, your body and your whole being as being vibrantly alive, and we can do that with the breathing, why not do them both together at the same time and get double dose? Okay. That's the get way high off your own supply. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon? What was that, Keyshawn? Get, get high off your, your own supply. Yeah, get high on your own supply. That's right. You've got all the air you need. Get high. That's the idea. That's the jhana is to get the vine vibrantly alive, fit for work through this breathing. And and we continue to do the breathing. We remember to keep doing it and keep doing it. And so the place to uh, to learn how to do that is set five or ten minute limit. And do it for five or ten minutes. That will give you then eventually the muscle capacity to be able to do it more often longer also another thing i want to bring up is uh anxiety so so it, it's hard to get anxious when you're breathing that way yeah. <laughs> yeah and and even the feeling of anxiety it's like usually for me it was like in the chest so for anxi anxiety it's kind of like an energized like dukkha. so it's kind of like it's not as dull as like depression Whereas, like, maybe if you're depressed, take the short, fast breaths. But if you're feeling anxiety, uh, the long, deep breaths kind of, like, seems like a better remedy for, like, if you're feeling, like, already energized, but, like, you have that fear. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about anxiety, then, for just a moment. Anxiety actually is a state of of body and feelings that were created by the mind that if we have an anxious thought but we're not aware of having that anxious thought and then we have it again and again and again and we're not paying attention to what the mind is doing the anxiety will occur oftentimes people don't even know that they're anxious and have anxiety but they have the feeling i've got to go do something okay we got to go. We got to go do something. And then we start figuring out what the problem is so we can find a problem to solve to get rid of anxiety. Guess what? That works. Why? Because when we figured out what problem it is that's causing anxiety, which it really didn't, now we're focused on our, our mind on the, the project. And while we're focusing on that project, the mind is not giving um, anxious thoughts, and so the anxiety melts away, too. So distraction. A good way of getting rid of anxiety is to go play some music or go for a walk or, better still, 
practice juggling because while someone is juggling, they can't think about much of anything else other than the juggling. That's the reason that we are doing the breath. While we're doing that breathing, it's hard to think about all the problems of the world. So in that regard, the anxiety is actually a chemical system that is uh, used, uh, we, we call it adrenaline, and there's an adrenaline gland. And so the mind thinks unwholesome thoughts, the penal glands pick up, pump that information through the uh, electrochemical system down to the adrenaline gland, which is located uh, in the middle of the back. Generally, I think it, most of it is on the right side, where the kidneys are. In fact, it's right above the kidneys. Um, that those kidneys then supply the amino acids for the adrenaline gland to manufacture adrenaline. That's why the adrenaline gland is on is next to the kidneys and the, and the liver is because that's where it gets its raw material, or let us say it is where it gets its shit to create a shit pie. <laughs> <laughs> And so now we've got adrenaline in the body, but the whole point is, is that the adrenaline is there from really, really ancient times, thousands of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, that if you saw that rhino, you want to stop because the rhinos doesn't have good sight. But if the rhino starts chasing you, what are you going to do? Well, you've got two choices. You're either going to run until it catches you, or you're going to stand and fight it. So the whole point about adrenaline is, is that uh, flight or flight, to fight or flight, but we start off with the freeze. Now the freeze means that we stop breathing. So now in modern times, instead of a rhino out in the woods, the boss comes down the hall. And the same thing happens. Okay, the first thing it is, is we stop. And then we get pumped full of adrenaline and we get all uptight needlessly because we cannot flee from the, uh, from the danger uh, of the boss, nor can we fight the boss. And so we sit there in this in-between state full of anxiety, not being able to think well, and we generally wind up lying to the boss because we're not listening carefully. We're not really there. Okay. So that's what adrenaline is. It's got a different feature to it that, in fact, the adrenaline itself is, is definitely super-duper packed with extra energy. It, in fact, the adrenaline has, the, um, it has all of the molecules that you need uh, in the muscles built into the adrenaline package. So that adrenaline package will break down really quickly doesn't stay in the system very long. That's why without any training, <clears throat> people get tired very quickly in a fight. I mean, you could get one or two blows in, these guys will fight for maybe one minute or so, and then they're both too tired. And in fact, there's even some movies about how long the two fighters can fight each other before they both get so exhausted they can't fight anymore. Okay, that exhaustion then means is that the, the adrenaline has all broken down. We want to intentionally break that adrenaline down because we have no use for it when the boss comes by. 
There's no reason to get anxious and untied. He's he's our best friend. <laughs> yeah, Josh, go ahead. So just building off of that boss example, I think uh, if there's like two examples, maybe the first person never practiced uh, anything. Uh, the boss comes, maybe that dog panting starts. Uh, there's a lot of jump going on, right? I, I guess if I'm trying to explore this more, maybe what we're trying to do then is the boss comes around. We notice the panting is happening. We notice that these thoughts are coming in where we're not uh, we're not in the present moment. We're thinking about what could happen. What's the boss going to say? And then that's when maybe it's the uh, I see you Mara moment. And then the, the breath, we can change the breath, right? And then we can transform that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when the ball, uh, when the boss comes down the hall, time to wakey wakey. That's when we need Sati. <laughs> yes, Scott. Oh, another thing uh, that you taught that helped me not be afraid of a boss is uh, getting rid of the delusion if I don't work I don't eat because like that's actually why you're afraid of your boss because mm -hmm. you're afraid if he disapproves of you you'll lose your livelihood you lose your work and you won't be able to eat so you have to attack the root fear of not being able to work so you don't eat and then and then you're not afraid of your boss anymore which totally recommend like <laughs> like you shouldn't be afraid of your boss. Oh, okay. On on a side point, let us say that you that this boss has nine or so people in his group. Nine people, and that um, perhaps he has a rebel or an angry guy or whatever like that who's not doing the work or whatever, that guy probably is going to get fired anyway. So we're not talking about that kind of issue. But rather, let us say that from on high, the, uh, the, the higher management says, oh, we've got to cut back and you've got to fire one person. Okay. Now, we have several different people. We've got a star performer maybe a lead programmer. We have uh, several guys that are doing their job on, uh, on a regular basis. And then you have a couple of guys who are really, really good friends with the boss. They're drinking buddies. They may go to the same church and they see each other on a regular basis. And so these guys who are friends with the boss are more than likely, regardless of whether they're either the star performer or the worst performer, they're not going to get fired. The boss is not going to fire his best friend. He's going to fire someone he doesn't like, regardless of what uh, the job they do. Okay. <laughs> so if you remember that, if you're the best friend of the boss, your job is secure. You're not going to fire his best friend if he's got a choice. <clears throat> oh, that that brings up a question for me is. Um... This issue of uh, ordinary, mundane speak with people. Um, so when I started practicing the Dhamma, I, I essentially became less interested in things that weren't somehow related to the Dhamma. So that cuts out a lot of uh, small talk and 
talk to do with uh, gossiping and stuff like that. So um, sometimes it, there's not a lot I can relate to um, people I meet in the world. And there's not a lot for me to say where I could just sit here and breathe happily, but maybe they feel uh, sort of awkward silence or something. So I was wondering if uh, you have anything to say about that. Make a um, funny face. You can communicate with people <laughs> silently. Okay. You, go. you you can, in fact, uh, in any situation, but let us say that this guy and somebody guy is, is in conversation and you're just sitting there. The thing to do then is who's ever talking, you look directly at them. Do your Anapanasati for that guy. In other words, this guy is your reality. And if he looks at you, you nod and wink and smile at him to get him to know that you're in full agreement with him. And then the other guy will talk. You pay close attention to him while he's talking. You look at him, you nod, and if he looks at you to acknowledge you, you give him a great big grin and you smile with him. And these guys could be at each other's throats in disagreement <laughs> if you smile and agree with both of them. <laughs> but don't try to go in and become a referee and Satan them out and push them back like that. No, whatever this guy's doing is okay with you. And whatever thing this guy's doing, that's okay with you. That I like we, that. That we come in and, and stop judging people. And where do we learn to do that? Is by stop judging ourselves. That we have to make friends with even our worst part. Let me dream up. Okay, an example is that um, the teenager became really good at shoplifting, he knew all about what to do. Even when Kmart or Walmart has the cameras, you see, when somebody shoplifts, they look around and then they'll grab something and put it in a bag. The camera will pick that up easy. And so the wise guy, what he's going to do is he's going to pick up that item that he's about to steal in full view, happiness. Oh, I really like that. We put it in the basket. And then we take the basket around someplace where we know there's no cameras and we take it out of the basket and put it in the pocket. It's very difficult to catch a thief who knows what he's doing, right? So fast forward about 15 or 20 years, and now this guy's a monk. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he finds himself in a store looking at something that he really likes. But now he says, wait a minute. When I was a teenager, it didn't matter so much if I got caught, and I'm not going to get caught anyway. But now I'm watching what I'm doing, and I recognize that this is greed, and I don't need that thing. And if I did, I could probably get it easier than stealing it, because I'm not going to feel good about stealing it. I've got my mind cleaned out now. Okay? So the, uh, the whole point then about the shoplifting is, is that when people are doing it, they feel bad. They feel like they might get caught. They've got to be very careful, and their body is normally full of adrenaline. But that's, in fact, what the stores want. They want to present stuff to make you want it bad enough to steal it, and then they're going to make sure that you will get caught if you do steal it. So you got to buy it. 
in order to get it. So there you are in this environment that's in, inviting you to take things. And then you can say, wait a minute, I don't need this. I don't want this. And I don't like how I feel when I think about wanting it and taking it. So this is the way that we can begin to recognize. So now later the monk comes out of the store, whether he shoplifted or not, he doesn't like that he's got an old history of shoplifting and he's now a monk and he still wants to shoplift, but he refrains from doing that. But he hates himself for being a shoplifter. That means he's going to hate others who shoplift. Same thing with fat. Exactly the same story. When someone is fat, when they grow up being fat, they hate being fat. They hate themselves for being fat. They can't do anything about it, diet after diet that doesn't work. What does that mean that when they get up around other people and some of them are fat, he doesn't want to be friends with the fat ones. He don't like fat. The fat guy hates fat girls. Doesn't like them. They're not beautiful. They're too fat. I want really skinny ones. Okay. So this is what we mean with this. So this is where this story is going about both the shoplifting and being fat is, is that if we hate ourselves for being a shoplifter, or if we hate ourselves for being fat, all we're doing is going around hating ourselves. And we go around hating other people. Why can't the fat guy just accept that he's fat? And that's okay. He can't do much about it anyway. And so just enjoy being fat. Or just say, aha, uh -huh, I don't have to shoplift anymore, but I have that history. So if we could use um, those two examples. Go ahead. Can, can uh, I'm, I've been having one lately. I didn't quite know what it was until you mentioned that. Um, but I've been having an, an issue with a lot of aggression and restlessness towards um, people who don't want to think, right? Who they, they consciously like don't think because um, it's hard or for whatever reason, they just kind of, they don't want to do the mental heavy they're lifting. They're not used to doing it. <laughs> and that was me too. Like I basically like didn't like to have my, I have, I have like, I guess above average intelligence. So, and I never liked it because it always made I, me I'm think a lot. And get really... you. I know a lot of people <laughs> who have um, uh, over average or above average intelligence. Right. There's a couple billion like of them. Everybody that dumb. I've ever met have over average intelligence. <laughs> right. So, like, I just kind of never wanted to do anything other than very simple common sense thinking. I never wanted to, like, lift any intellectual heavy stones, right? Never wanted to do any oh, philosophy, like complex thinking. <laughs> yeah. So, all I wanted to do is something that was instinctual and common sense. And I've been noticing that, like, now that I'm kind of more willing to, you know, put some thinking into things, now that I'm willing to think and analyze, I've been having a lot of aggression towards people who are, like, willfully ignorant or they're just, like, mentally lazy. They just don't want to think. They just want to be reactive and kind of toxic and a lot of times. So I've been noticing, and that's not an issue, right? There's billions of people like that. The real issue is that I just keep getting so frustrated at them because 
And now that when you put it like that, I kind of can see that, yeah, when I was younger, I didn't want to do anything other than the instinctual reactive thing. Now that I'm trying to find more enjoyment and actually looking for truth and thinking deeply, starting to get kind of aggressive, or I've just noticed that it's enough, enough of an issue that I'll, that it'll happen. Sometimes I'd prefer it didn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a hard me now of something else that actually was quite common back in the 1970s. That was in the time when cigarettes were becoming taboo, coming out of a complete smoker society to where everybody smoked. And now you've got a few people who were stopped. Well, not everybody, but let us say maybe half the people smoked and half the people didn't. And then you now have people who are quitting smoking. It's hard to do, but they've done it. Okay, so now you have a situation in a restaurant in those days where even though it's against the house rules and you have people in there and someone lights up a cigarette, who's going to complain about this guy lighting up a cigarette? People who have never smoked before in their lives or ex-smokers? Probably both. No, it's the ex-smoker. It's the Mm. one who used to do it. It's the one who's going to hate it. So even if the guy who was fat when he was a kid becomes a muscle man when he's an adult, he's still going to hate fat women. I could do it. I got over my weight problem. Why don't you already have gotten over your weight problem? And so here you are with that same exact thing. Only now is with stupid people. Unfortunately, even though there's been a whole lot of uh, weight gain and people are getting fatter because of the kind of uh, foods that they're eating that are advertised or whatnot, there have been stupid people forever. (laughs) Right. So there's no reason to be mad about it. There's always no reason to be mad at those people for being stupid because there's so many of them anyway. It's the natural way. And then if I, in fact, we should be able to congratulate ourselves for not being stupid anymore, but we can't complain about them being stupid because we're stupid also sometimes. Can you actually enjoy and congratulate yourself for catching yourself being stupid? So it's it's Normally a, it's that, when we're stupid and we say it, we don't like it. I don't like being stupid. I want to know the answers to all of those questions. And so when I catch myself being stupid, we complain. We don't like ourselves. Okay. And this is a, a, a standard way of doing and living our lives until we come across the Dhamma to find out that, oh, we should love that stupid part of us too. To love that fat part. To love the smoker in, in me, even though I don't smoke anymore. To love the shoplifter in me without shoplifting anymore. And stop hating ourselves for all of the stuff that we're doing. Start loving okay. ourselves. Start enjoying life. Give ourselves a break. Nourish ourselves. Or as Keyshawn and I have talked about the song... Hello, darkness, my old friend, because we've all got a dark side. And so long as we don't like that dark side, we're split. We're disunified. The dark side and the white bright side hate each other. 
Let them become husband and wife. Let them join together. Start loving yourself for every bad thing that you've ever done. Forgive yourself for slapping that girl at that time or whatever it was. So is it good as a general rule of thumb when we see something that we don't like in someone else, it's probably some kind of uh, aspect of our, because people say that all the time, like, oh, you're projecting. Mm-hmm. It just kind of seems like, oh, that. how could that be true? Obviously, being dumb is a bad thing, so I must be justified in being angry. But it really is kind of starting to sound like that, you know, when we see those things we don't like in someone else, probably has more to do with us rejecting a part of ourselves, right? Like maybe when I was younger, I'd be very insulting, uh, very aggressive. So when I see someone else being aggressive, it's more about the lack of acceptance of a past part of me, some kind of, okay. So love your angry part, and then you'll be able to love the angry part in that other guy. It's okay he's angry. This is the whole quality in the teaching of the Buddha about sila basa paramasa. Give up all of the rules about thou shalt not be fat. Thou shalt not be angry. Thou shalt not be shoplifter. Thou shalt not smoke. All of these rules that we have in there make us into divided in our minds. And we need to integrate that. To start loving the darkest part of you. Hello, darkness, my old friend. And how do we do that in, in meditation practice? Well, Goenka's got a, um, uh, a key phrase. When the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind. Start again. Most meditators, when they find their mind wandering away from the breath, they say, hey, this is hard work. Oh, I don't like this. Oh, this meditation stuff's a bunch of crap. Maybe that teacher doesn't know what he's doing. This is all just a religious hogwash, right? And so we fuss at ourselves because our own mind wandered away instead of nurturing ourselves. Oh, I'm so happy I was able to remember I caught myself with the mind wandering away. Let me happily bring it back. So it's almost like um, uh, treat yourself like a brand new puppy, a baby puppy, a puppy that is not potty trained. And every time you poop on the floor, you little puppy, you nourish the puppy. You try to teach him to take it outside. But if you punish the dog, then you, your relationship with that puppy is interrupted and you want to be able to love the puppy, even though puppies crap. The same thing with babies. Mothers will nurture a baby. They'll love that baby. And in fact, uh, after about two days of having that brand new infant, finally a really, really huge turd will pop out and everybody in the family is really happy to see that first turd because it means that the digestive system on this infant is working, right? So we <laughs> like to see some crap from a baby. But when that baby grows up to be 16 years old and he craps on the floor in the uh, front room, mom's going to give him hell for it, right? So she's got a, gra- a, gr- a rule now, thou shalt not crap. And she used to love you for it, and now she hates you for it. (laughs) (laughs) And so this is what we have to be able to do to ourselves is recognize that we've just taken a dump, but I see that I've taken a dump. 
Now I can <laughs> clean it up happily. Okay. But if I ignore it, it says, oh, that wasn't me. You know, the idea of who dealt it, smelt, or who, who smelt it, dealt it. So if I, if I make a noise about, oh, I don't like somebody just farted, it's probably me that just farted. You've heard that before. If whoever, whoever smelt it, dealt it. Okay. That's, this is, that's an exactly what we're talking about here is that we don't like it when we do it, and so we don't like it when other people do it. Now, I cannot think of anything more natural than a fart. <laughs> Especially old men. They fart. Is it okay that I fart, guys? It's okay. You have my permission. It's okay with me that I fart. <laughs> so I don't have to make a big deal out of it. We accept ourselves. It, we fart. It's okay. You smelled farts before. You know what they're like. You survived every one of them. You can survive this one too. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever it is that we hate ourselves for, and everyone hates themselves for something, whatever it is that you really don't like about yourself, start looking at that and start paying attention to the fact that it's really okay. That you're all right. You're a good guy. You're a winner. In fact, you can see it. And that's the amazing part. That you can see that the mind has wandered away. And that's okay. Just never mind. Start again. You don't have to go through the routine. Of, oh, monkey mind. Oh, this is so hard work. Oh, I wish I hadn't gotten to this retreat. And all of that kind of stuff that we go through. When we merely catch the mind wandering away from the breath. Because that's a very natural thing to happen. We, we were never taught to have a good attention span. So how many people here hate themselves for forgetting to do the long, deep breath that we've been talking about this hour? Because <laughs> everybody forgot. Did you have something? Pardon? What was that? Oh, I had one other thing to say too, but Scott, I think he's raised his hand for a while. Did you want to say something, Scott? Or maybe he just forgot that it was on. Yeah, I was going to ask a question. Yes. Okay. Um, so I was wondering, uh, not to be argumentative, but I was wondering how that's not practicing meta, because I've heard you say before, meta is, is practicing it? meta. That's actually practicing meta. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I've heard Just you say to before. love yourself, even with your warts, warts yeah, and yeah. all. So practicing meta, yeah, I, I think it's fairly good. I mean, in the context of like the internal family system, there is like an inner child, and the the inner adult needs to take control and like nourish and uh, create a safe environment for the child and love it and make yourself feel warm and safe and secure. Um, so that can that's very effective but but then i've heard you say that meta is an outcome of practice of correct practice rather than a practice okay so the meta then is accepting the smoker when you're a non-smoker to accept the anger in others because we've been angry ourselves that's the meta but that's not meta practice that's meta in reality 
And how did we get that way is by accepting ourselves on the inside. Accept that the mind has wandered away and, and, and that kind of thing. What metta practice is, is repeating something over and over again, like may all beings be happy. And that's really, really um, ill-defined is what all beings are. And so we start having um, uh, concepts about who and what and, and things that is not real and, right, and not right in front of us. And so metta, when it's practiced well and correctly, would be, hey, man, why don't you feel as good as I do? Which is completely different than may all beings be happy because the whole point of us saying that is we're sitting there on the floor at probably after many hours of long, frustrating meditation, and we practice metta now with the attitude of may all beings be happy. <laughs> may all beings <laughs> be free from... <laughs> from suffering. <laughs> in other words, if you don't have metta in your inside, you cannot do it on the outside. We have to get it together on the inside, and then that metta, when it's really, really there, is going to just spill all over the place, and you're going to be happy with everybody. Also, another thing I heard you say that makes sense about the metta practice is that when when someone's like doing may all beings be happy, they're not looking at what's going on right now. They're imagining being imaginations, right? That aren't actually here. Instead of if there is beings here, then may you guys be happy right now. That's a lot different than uh, <laughs> the thinking up like some kind of like concept. imagination is because i've been into many retreats where we do that you know and i can just see it now that someone is sitting out in the audience and and they practicing meta practice and everybody is mumbling under their breath may all beings be happy and all of a sudden after 10 or 15 minutes of the meditation practice somebody yells out i wish you guys felt as good as this What's going to happen there? Everybody's going to point their finger and say, shut up. You're supposed to be quiet in here. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of somebody else saying, yeah, it does feel that good, doesn't it? They're not doing it that way. That would be real meta. Hey, guys, cheer up. Everything's okay. That's meta. But this just sad... Go ahead. Just well, a kind... And just a kind, friendly attitude where you're just kind of like, hey, I'm feeling good. You guys, but it's not about like you trying to cheer someone up because you're bothered by their depression. You're like, you have that vibrant quality of life. you are like, up to your Whoa. level. Hey, guys, it's, it's, this is a nice view here, this happy place. Why don't you come be happy with me? Give me a smile. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> so, Eric, feel- you've got your hand up. Yeah, hi. Just to go back to what um, you were saying about loving the parts uh, that we don't accept about yourself, mm-hmm. that we don't accept about ourselves. Um, we start with what's easy, and what's easy is what we can accept logically. Like, I I can learn to love myself for things that are socially acceptable, for example. But then when we get to a certain point of satisfaction, uh, we are capable 
um, easily to love parts that aren't usually socially acceptably lovable, let's say, or that we don't accept that that we label as evil or bad and stuff. And it's just uh, the the growth of our satisfaction and our skill. Okay. Love yourself. Fortune off. Right on. I really liked going over that because like it helped me to immediately have some more forgiveness and understanding for three or four people who I've kind of had in a kind of, I wouldn't say like a friend group. They're like in an acquaintance group, but I've noticed that they, and I really dislike when people let's go, we'll do the practice real quick. I really dislike when people hold the past against you. You did something three years ago. They have a grudge for three years. They hold that as if that's your true identity or something. So obviously for me, because I choose not to do that, I get aggressive when I see someone holding the past, right? Um, so that's another example of like, okay, like, well, I'm not really so frustrated with them. It's about me having a, a distinction, a split between me thinking it's good to drop the past. That is good. I think it is good to drop the past. But furthermore, I also need to not be not met, have it such an issue with other people who don't. Um, but anyways, well, these couple people drop the past. You were able to drop the past because of right, noble effort. And they haven't been practicing right, noble effort. So they're just the same place that you used to be. So in a way, when they're angry at somebody from the past, so are you. So, I, yeah, I just got to really focus more on like accepting my past and being fully okay with being okay with where I, I guess, I guess a lot of progression and growth comes from us being so dissatisfied with our life. I used to think of myself as being like a broken, terrible person. So I need to do all these things like meditate, become very knowledgeable, uh, become very ut utility. I have to have like a job skill. I have to be useful to other people. I have to participate in society. All these things I kind of drove myself to do because I had some kind of dissatisfaction with the way my life felt. Now that I'm kind of having a chance to think about it, I can see now there is an, a negative side effect of me really having an issue with my past and being like, that's a bad thing. You know, I remember coming to the place where I am now because I was so dissatisfied with it. Now I'm kind of looking back and I'm kind of seeing there's a lingering issue with that, which is that I negatively judge other people because it's somehow it's in my shadow of like the way things are now is better and ideal. So the way things used to be is less ideal because obviously I'm a great person and I've grown some kind of thinking like that. But really, it's problematic because, you know, I have like all this aggression and everybody does. I'm not really saying like me, but there there is this kind of issue with that idea of growth or that idea of evolution or whatever kind of. And who I am now is the best one or the better one. Mm -hmm. And who I used to be is a problem or an issue or it's childish. And people who are that way, the way I used to be, they need to grow up or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it really has to do with like mindset and view. And um, it is a little bit hard to kind of see how that whole pattern goes. So I'm trying to be a little bit more gracious with other people who can't quite see that yet. Um, 
I understand the yeah. language. It's actually you said that it's hard. No, that's the the hard part is when you catch yourself doing that and now apply a new rule. Oh, you should not be angry at people who are angry. Better thing to do is to accept that. Yeah, you're angry right now, and so is he. <laughs> That's okay. You got angry. You can see it. Congratulate yourself for seeing it because he doesn't see it. The reason that he doesn't see it is because he's in a state of denial. But if you get angry at him for being angry, then you're in a state of denial also. Wakey, wakey, you're the one who is, is lucky. Or you're the one who, who woke up to the anger. So don't be a hater of anger because that will keep your own anger going. Except anger. Anger is just a natural thing. It's so natural but, because it's instinctual. It's a self-protection mechanism. But when you recognize you don't need any protection right now, this guy's angry, but he's not going to kill me. Why should I get aggressive? And so when we fake our way through it, we can say, hey, it's okay. It's all right. No problems. Rant away. Uh, Robert, you got your hand up. Hey guys, the smoker is tuning in, <laughs> and that's okay. You are not be smoking <laughs> on my channel. How dare you? I'm an ex smoker. You should stop. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, you know it's interesting because. This whole topic is really interesting because Theravada Buddhism has kind of a reputation uh, for being um, all about the purity test, right? You know, I, I recall, you know, there was a good podcast with Michael Taft a while ago where he talked, sometimes finds Theravada frustrating because the, the way the Arhat is built up is there's no defilement and there's all this emphasis on no defilement at all no hindrance no defilement that's the ideal and you know what you're teaching but is that's more an like ideal. become friends and that's yes yes i'm curious to hear what are your thoughts on that that ideal in relationship to what you what you're teaching tonight the ideals are concepts the ideals become rules and we start punishing ourselves for not being an arahat, which is not an arahat. <laughs> Instead, when you see the defilements, you say, oh, I saw that. Never mind. Not a problem. And we get over it. And we've come back to being an arahat. But if you hate it, those defilements, then you can't get rid of them. But in fact, you've added a new defilement, hatred. But when you can love someone for, or basically the best thing to say is if you can love yourself and accept yourself and catch yourself for what you're doing wrong, and instead of hating yourself for doing wrong, you can love and nourish yourself that you can see that this is wrong. Hot dog, we've got vision. We can see what's really going on. But if I hate it, I'll deny it. Oh, I'm not supposed to be angry, therefore I'm not angry. We go into a state of denial because there's a rule against it. 
So when we take down the rules, we can see things more clearly. We don't have any more. Con so we've got a confirmation bias against anger. And because of that, we really hate it when we see it. And so we try to avoid seeing it. And so we go into a state of denial. I'm not angry when, in fact, we, if we <clears throat> look closely, we say, oh, yeah, I'm angry. But it doesn't matter. What matters is, can I stop it? Can I start loving myself and come out of my anger for my for my own bad behavior? Can I can I sing that song? Hello, darkness, my old friend. Wow, I've seen this anger. I see it again. It's I got get... real meta, as Scott pointed out. The real meta is when you accept things the way that they are. Because then you can see things more clearly the way that they are and be able to nudge it, smooth it out, get over it. Aha, I saw you. Mind wandering away from your breath and I can come back and take another breath. It's actually a I gotta go. easy practice. <laughs> go ahead, Tori. <laughs> Hey, I got to go pick up my nephews in a second, but I just had one real big kind of thought or revelation. So I wanted to pass it by you guys real quick. Um, is all hatred and negative feelings just a rejection of an aspect of ourselves? Because that se kind of seems to be like the point we're making. Like when we look out in the world and we see anger or hatred, or uh, maybe those are the ones I was really looking into, anger and hatred. Um, because every time I kind of think about it, it's always come, it always comes back to some kind of something I deny myself of, right? Like I see someone being violent and I deny myself that part. So I'm like, oh, I'm really angry at that. You shouldn't do that. The more I reject it and deny it, the more angry I get when I see it in someone else. Um, and it, it kind of began to spiral really quickly. And it seems like I'll have to think about it, examine it in meditation or reflection or something. But seems like all hatred and negative feelings are just a rejection of an aspect of ourselves. Specifically, Absolutely. it's something about our past. Let me tell you um, a, a very clear example of that. In fact, we've got an, a word for it in English. It's called hypocrisy. And, and you can see it in religions to where uh, the preacher gives a rule to the, uh, uh, his congregation. And then later, the congregation is really going to hate him when he proves that he all of that uh, instruction and rule setting that the preacher gave, he's not living up to it himself. He's got his hands either in the plate or in the panties, one or the other. But he also sets all of these rules for everybody else. And so now the average Christian will go out and, oh, well, I've got my hands in either this plate or those panties. Therefore, I should pass this rule along to other people. Oh, all of those women out there can't have a divorce because I'm keeping my own rules. If I can keep my own rules, or better still not have any rules to keep, then we could accept what other people need rather than going around making rules and laws. Oh, you can't do this because I can't live up to it anyway. So the rich guy that goes to the church, he's going to vote. Oh, we got to have abortion. But as soon as his daughter or his wife wants one, they could get it. 
So this is this is what we call hypocrisy, and it is built in, or not built in in the way of instincts, but it's built into our society. It's called passing the hot potato or uh, the pecking order. Okay, that this guy picks on this one, and this guy picks on that one, and this guy picks on that one, and all we're doing is passing the rules down that I can't keep myself. And so when we recognize nobody needs any of these rules, we'd start having rules and start enjoying our lives, we'd all be much better off. In fact, we would all be better behaved if we were uh, joyful. That most aggression, I mean, in fact, all aggression happens with people who are unhappy. So when you catch yourself being unhappy, lighten up. Instead of being unhappy with you being unhappy, which is the normal way that we do it. You're unhappy with being unhappy, but when you can see, wait a minute, I can see that unhappiness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. We can deal with you again. So that's that's what you're talking about. Exactly. That we hate most in other people the rules that we cannot keep for ourselves. That's so weird. I never would have thought hypocrisy was such a big issue, but it really seems to be like one of the fundamental issues. It's the fundamental issue. Exactly. Passing the buck. Blaming someone else. Well, I can't wait to do the breathing and to examine those things more. I'm so thankful for the time and talking today. I got to go pick up my nephews and uh, spread some of the meta and the joy. I'll see you guys later. Okay. Yeah. It's actually a, great a pretty one, good time to play. We've got a couple of guys. Okay, Josh, you got your hand up. Oh, I'll just say this real fast. Uh, seeing the anger in yourself and, uh, and other people, it's almost like destroying that duality and being able to recognize uh, through your practice what, what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all the same. We're all human. We all get angry. Why should I hate him for being angry? Why should I get angry for him being angry? (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense when we think of it as purely logically. Yes, Robert, you've got a question. Yeah, just a comment. Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) comment in the study. Um, It's funny, you know, I've noticed being in Latin America for a while now. I've been in Colombia, you know, almost six months this year. And Christianity is pretty different there um, in many respects. You know, I was talking with, uh, with Sandra, my partner, about it, and, and uh, she's Catholic. And I said, you know, um, you know I, I mentioned about how in Christianity there's a belief that we're all fallen and sinful and we need to ask for forgiveness all the time. She said, what do you mean ask for forgiveness all the time? I never do that. I said, you know, but babe, you go, you go to church, you know, you're Catholic, you know, she said, oh no, like that's not part of <laughs> that here. Like she never asked for forgiveness. There's no, they don't have confessionals back. in the Catholic churches in Colombia. That's an interesting, the, the, they do have it. They have it, but she's only been one time it's her dusty. whole life. It's, <laughs> yeah. It, it's not emphasized at all. You know, they don't emphasize it. They don't, you know, really emphasize that part. You know, it, it's just really interesting how it's totally different. Well, they used to. And mm. uh, uh, quite clearly, I want to let you know that the Paddy Mork that the Buddhist monks do once a month 
is a really opportunity to clean things out and get it off our chest. Mm. To go to a senior monk and tell him what you've been doing in the sense that uh, not for punishment, but the confession is to make it real that we accept that that's what's happened rather than denying it. Mm. We lie to ourselves easily. But the mm. petty mark is an opportunity to get things off our chest. Yeah, I screwed that up. But now that we have it out in the open and acceptable, I can accept that that's just what happened rather than mm. denying it. Oh, I don't masturbate. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, yes, that's the whole quality is, is to bring it out in the open, do the confession, even if it's a private confession, at least it's a confession in that sense of, hello, darkness, my old friend, I confess that you actually exist in me. Mm. But sometimes I'm unhappy. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I'm frustrated. And when I can quit, catch it quickly, I can put it to rest very quickly. But this is part of the practices is that when we're... Um, See, if you're angry and you don't recognize you're angry and you don't want to be angry, then you can stay angry for a long time. And so the whole process starting from the soda pine is he's probably going to yap for about seven minutes or, or seven exchanges. <laughs> and then he's going to recognize this is not going anywhere and I'm not feeling good. Let me shut my mouth. And as he progresses, he doesn't say out loud seven times. He comes down to four and then three and then down to the point of just one outburst. Ah! Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next step is the beginning of that ah in the mind. And we can, before we even open our mouths, we say, wait a minute, I see that happening. Aha, I see you, old friend. Here comes that anger again. But now I don't even express it. I can change it, uh, change the mind before the anger actually gets out of the mouth. This is the state of the uh, anagani. And if he practices well of catching himself before he even opens his mouth, he'll begin to be able to catch himself even before the anger arises. Mm. Now he's pure. How did he get pure? Is by recognizing and seeing congratulating himself for seeing the anger or whatever it is. That's the way that we do it over and over and over again is be very happy when you catch yourself screwing up. Right. Congratulate yourself for being willing to see what you're doing rather than continuing in our states of denial. Be happy that you see that you're a miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> be happy. Oh, yeah, I see that. I've been a miserable <laughs> son of a bitch for the past few minutes. Let me come out of it. I can see it. But if we're right. a miserable son of a bitch and we don't like being son of a miserable son of a bitch because we've been told you're not supposed to be a miserable son of a bitch. Well, I'm not. I'm not a son of a miserable son of a bitch right now. I'm just not. <laughs> and we deny it because we're not supposed to be that. But if you accept right. yourself as a miserable son of a bitch, you can just make a big joke out of it like I've been doing here. Yeah, I'm a miserable son of a bitch. So what? 
<laughs> Perfect. All right. So go enjoy your darkness. See it for what it is. Only then can we come out of it because we're willing to look at it because it's not something that we want to avoid. It's okay. I think we'll, t- we'll title this talk Damarato is a miserable son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys, well, let's finish this talk. I mean, you guys have had about as much misery as you can stand right now, I suppose. Scott, <laughs> you got any last thing to say? Um, uh, I'm happy. <laughs> happy, good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess, like, uh, a couple of thoughts that popped up for me about the waking up to your own bullshit uh, vibe. So like waking up to your own bullshit can be discouraging at first because of how much bullshit there really is. No, so it's like, because you've got a rule about how much bullshit yeah, you can yeah, tolerate. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's like it's because you don't like bullshit, so you don't want to see it. But well, you it, don't like it because you're not supposed to like it. You're supposed. I mean, you got these rules. Yeah. And when we so, stop seeing them as rules then we don't have to not like it because we're breaking a rule. Now we can just say, well, that's how things are. It's okay. And congratulate yourself for seeing it rather than being in a state of denial. Josh, do you have any last comments? Uh, May all beans be happy. Ah, well, at least the six of us. <laughs> that's good enough. Yeah, that's good enough. Six. <laughs> Better than zero. Well, it's a good place to start. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really, really happy little talk we've had today. We've done some breathing and we've done some inspection. Excellent. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, you. Take care, everyone. Cheers. Bye.